What's striking as we read Revelation and these seven letters, each one offers a blessing to people who respond. You see, some people read these letters as if they're hit history pre-written. They're really not. If you really analyze church history, no one who really has studied church history would ever believe that these seven churches are seven periods of history in the church. They're not. They don't fit. What they do fit is the first century when these letters were written, probably uh, around somewhere in the mid-90s of the first century. That's what they fit. And every one of those churches had problems in one way or another, except for one, which comes off pretty well. But every one of those churches had problems in it, just like the churches in Texarkana today have problems in them. It was true in the first century, it's true throughout history, and it'll be true in an intensified way just before the Lord returns. But what's interesting is that every single one of these letters concludes with a blessing. Have you ever think, do you ever think of the worst of the churches? In some ways, it was the lukewarm church. It was the blind church. It was the church that had too much money. Have you ever known a church that had too much money? I have. Sorry, I never pastored one. <laughs> That's a joke, but uh, maybe it reveals something. Uh, but the thing is, the church at Laodicea was a church that was self-satisfied and complacent because they viewed themselves as rich. And we think of it as a terrible church, and rightly so. But you know, at the very end, there's a blessing. And the blessing is... That if anyone, is, behold, I stand at the door and knock. That's not about you and me becoming Christians. That's an important thing to say. That's not about you and me becoming Christians. It's about Jesus outside the door of the church. The church of Laodicea. A church that had turned its back on the Lord. Had no interest in these things anymore. Even in a bad, even in an apostate church. Jesus is outside the church knocking and saying, will somebody hear my voice? Will somebody say, Jesus, please come into this church? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to where he is. It's not, I'll come into his heart. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an evangelistic verse if we misuse it. And it's true. If, if we hear the Lord Jesus calling to us in a sermon and respond to that, He promises that He will come into our hearts. He does. But it's misusing that verse to the Laodicean church to use it that way. It's about a church. A local congregation, not about the building, it's about a local congregation that no longer has any use for Jesus. Can that be true? We'll see later on how true it can be. And what Jesus promises to the church at Laodicea, if there's a single solitary member of that congregation, thinking of all of us here, there's a single solitary member of that congregation who said, you know what this church is missing? What's this church missing? 
We're missing Jesus. I want to tell you a story. Years ago, I visited a church in a city uh, in Louisiana because I used to be the stated clerk of, uh, of the PCA Presbytery in the state of Louisiana. And so uh, I was visiting a church, and even though I was much younger then, during a break I needed to go to the bathroom. And so I got up to go to the bathroom during a break, and I looked, and there on the wall where they had a bulletin board was an advertisement, Confederate Heritage Days. And all of the men were going to wear Confederate not privates, Confederate officers dress uniforms and all the ladies were going to wear hoop skirts. And I thought to myself, well, how quaint. All of my ancestors were on this side of the Mason-Dixon line before the late unpleasantness. But you know, that, that particular conflict was settled in a courthouse. Did you know that? April 19th, 1865, it was settled in, at Appomattox Courthouse, somebody's private residence. Been there, seen it, it's interesting. You know, I, I sometimes when I, I, I have friends and they think, well, we need to rise up against the government. And I think to myself, you know, my ancestors weren't successful in 1861 through 65, I wonder how successful we'll be with drones and missiles and unbelievable uh, spying. You know, they know when you go through a red light. We're going to win by taking up arms against the government? Give me a break. But anyhow, I saw this. And when I came back home, Sandy and I sat on our back deck. And we were talking. And I said, you know, what in the world are those people all into celebrating the Confederacy? And she made a remark to me. I want you to listen to this. They're just not satisfied with Jesus. Wow. When I worked overseas in the summer of 1966 with various churches... I learned something about the Church of England, because that's mainly where I worked. And I noticed this. Many of the English clergymen had hobbies. And their hobbies were far more important to them than their congregation. Many of those men were not Bible scholars. Many of those men never really studied in the Scriptures to try to present the fruit of their study to their people. And they would do certain obligatory things like weddings and funerals and that kind of thing and occasionally go to the hospital, hopefully not like in the story we read of bird life in Wington, but they would do things like that as bare minimum. But they had hobbies. They were fascinated with stuff. You know, English cemeteries are really amazing things. They're old and I love cemeteries. Do you? I mean, it's fascinating to walk through a cemetery and see this and see that, as, as Sandy and I once did over at uh, Junction City in that cemetery where there was a lady that was born in Scotland in 1792. Cemeteries have interesting stories, but listen. Those English clergymen had these hobbies. 
studying this and studying that. That was the whole burden of their lives. Why? They just weren't satisfied with Jesus. You say, that's quite a judgment. All I can say is, I think the fruit in an individual's life is Jesus, the most important thing. Now, I noticed this in this church, that to the church at Thyatira, Jesus gives a promise to the ones who listen to what he's saying and respond by seeking his face. Look there on page 1916. And he says at the very end, the last two verses, he says, I will also give him the morning star. I'll give him the morning star. What is that? Well, you read commentators, and commentators are often stupid people. So what would you say, Bob? I said, commentators are often stupid people. They just overlook the obvious. People wonder, well, what is it he's going to give us? What is it he's going to give? If we are responding to the Lord Jesus the way the Christians who were at Thyatira were called on to respond, what's he going to give us? Is Venus? Is that what he's going to give us? Would you like to have Venus? The morning star? No, that's the evening star. Anyhow, is he going to give us one of the planets? Is that what he's going to give us? What are you going to do with that thing? Kind of like winning a raffle of a baby elephant. Except it's worse. But do you know the Bible is a self-interpreting book if we read it carefully? Look at that verse. Verse 28, page 1916. I will also give him the morning star. What is it? Well, turn with me, if you will, over to the very end of the book. And the book of Revelation generally will give us the answer to the questions that arise in our minds. Look at page 1939. Page 1939. And this is what Jesus says in verse 16. Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. Now, who is Jesus? I am the root and the offspring of David. What's he saying there? Well, it's very plain what he's saying. He's saying that he is the promised son of David. He is the Jewish Messiah. He is the fulfillment of all the prophecies regarding a descendant going back as far back as Adam, renewed as God deals with Abraham, and renewed in the case of King David, that David would have a son who would be greater than he. In Psalm 110, David says this, Yahweh, using God's proper name, like my proper name is Bob or Robert, Yahweh said to my master, Yahweh said to my boss, Yahweh said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Jesus is the root and offspring of David. It's Jesus that David has in mind in Psalm 110. And it's Jesus also who is, in verse 4, a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, a priest king of ancient Jerusalem. So he says, I am the root and offspring of David. I am the Messiah. Wasn't Solomon? Solomon was a 
a very poor imitation because Solomon started so well and he ended up so poorly as an idolater who built temples for the pagan gods like Moloch and Chemosh who sacrificed their children to these pagan gods. Solomon got into all that. Solomon was a terrible king who began well. In fact, I think Solomon, in a way, describing himself in Ecclesiastes near the end of his life, says, better a young man than an old and foolish king who no longer knows how to give, uh, receive counsel. In other words, when you can't hear correction, that's true for me, when you can't hear correction anymore, when you can't respond when somebody corrects you, you're on the verge of becoming an old fool. And inasmuch as this is the year of my diamond uh, year, be concluded at 75, I'm in grave danger of becoming an old fool. When I can no longer listen to other people, when I can't hear my wife and respond to her, or when a brother or sister has a word for me, I'm an old fool. So anyhow, the Lord Jesus Christ says, I am the root and the offspring of David. He is the promised son of David. But now notice what comes next. He says, and the bright morning star. What? Jesus is the bright morning star. I want you to understand something. It's very, very important. The Lord Jesus Christ himself is the bright morning star. You know what Jesus is saying to the church at Thyatira? In all the other promises he gives to them, all the warnings of how bad they are and how much trouble they're in and this and that, he says, now listen, folks. If you will respond to what I'm saying, let the one who has an ear hear. If you'll respond, not only will I give you to share in my rule of the nations, and we looked at that last Lord's Day, how through prayer we have authority uh, to wield great force in the world through our prayers. See, that's the important thing. Prayer. If there were just one lesson I could give to every church in America, why get agitated over this? If I can tell you one thing that I have learned, every time I try to solve a problem, I mess it up. Why? Because I don't have wisdom. I don't have wisdom. Prayer, that was last week. Prayer, prayer changes things. Your efforts and mine generally will backfire. That's why I used to tell people, I believe in the reformed doctrine of procrastination. Because till you know what you're supposed to do, I didn't say do nothing. Pray, 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 and believe that God wants to do something really amazing. This is the deal. Far more important than God hearing and answering your prayers, last week's sermon, is the importance of what? What's the heart of the matter? The heart of the matter is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the heart of the matter. A church can be a beautiful edifice. I've been in some of the most magnificent churches in the world. I love those old English churches. But you know what? The word that I would say should be written over most of them that I visited in 1966. And many of them had closed and become gambling parlors and 
theaters. But the word generally that should have been written over those old English churches was Ichabod. What does he promise? He promises no matter where you are, no matter what's going on in your life, if right here and right now you will seek the Lord Jesus Christ for himself, for himself, you know what? You'll find him. I don't care how dead the congregation may be, how lifeless it may be, how wicked things may be going on within it, but if you will seek the Lord Jesus Christ for himself, he'll give himself to you. I want to say this. On July the 4th, 2021, there isn't a need in your life or my life that won't be essentially and fundamentally satisfied by seeking the face of the Lord. Seek Him till you find Him. Now we're going to do the Lord's Supper in a minute. And the Lord's Supper is a wonderful thing. It's important. Christian people need to take the Lord's Supper. They need to observe it until He comes again. Why? Because it's a means of grace. What is that? I said a month ago. It's a means of grace. doesn't mean it's spiritual vitamins to take today to kind of last you for a week or two or a month. It's a means to Jesus. And I want to tell you, this is worthless. This is not going to do you any good unless you're seeking to encounter the Lord Jesus Christ through the bread and through the wine. Not spiritual vitamins. It's a means to Jesus. It's a tool to help you focus on Him and to cry out to God, more love to Thee, O Christ, more love to Thee. So that's my invitation to you. Please, as we observe the Lord's Supper, remember its purpose. Its purpose, as is the purpose of a sermon, is to seek Jesus. Because you've got Jesus, you've got everything you need. Delight yourself in the Lord. I read that this morning in my English Bible reading in Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. That's why I say if you've got Jesus, you've got it all. If you don't have Jesus, you've got nothing at all. So may God grant to us, as we come to Jesus, through this ordained means of seeking Him, the Lord's Supper, may God grant that be a reality for you and me. Let's pray. Lord, we lift up this bread to you and this wine to you. We acknowledge them to be powerful, potent means of grace. And yet, Lord, if we don't seek you in it, just crackers and juice. Lord, would you grant us to seek you here and to find you for you say in Scripture... And you will search for me and find me when you seek for me with all your heart. Lord, would you grant that be so, that we say one more time on this 4th of July, 2021, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And use the bread and the wine to that end. For Jesus' sake, we pray. Amen.